Pulp MX Network production. Pulp MX fans, we're 550 plus shows and counting thanks to your support of our sponsors. Get the Pulp MX app for iOS and Android today. Save money with discount code PULPMX at BTOsports.com and click the Amazon banner on PULPMX.com for all other online purchases. It's the BTOsports.com Steve Mathis Show. Presented by Fox Racing. On RacerXOnline.com. The original Moto Podcast. Featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Hey, uh, BTOsports.com, anything you need for your biker body, use the code PULPMX to save yourself money. If you're an international guy, make sure you check the pricing. Some of the competitors are uh, not putting the pricing of the uh, uh, country that you're in. So check that out. And uh, they got OEM parts now, folks. So anything you need for that, BTOsports.com, proud sponsors of Andrew Short and Matt Gerke. And, of course, Fox Racing. Uh, who, who, what can it be, more can be said about Fox Racing, the global innovation leader for motocross racewear? they got the Instinct Boot V4 Helmet Airspace Performance Goggle 360 Racewear. Uh, adults and youth sizes uh, out there, and uh, go to foxhead.com or visit your local authorized Fox dealer. We thank those guys for coming on board. And uh, I know I say this often, but on the podcast, I got a guy I've been wanting to do one of these with for a long, long time and uh, kind of forgot about him. But uh, then it came back, and it couldn't be happier to have uh, perhaps the all-time winningest mechanic, certainly up there if anybody kept track of stats, Skip Norfolk on the line. Skip, what's happening? How are you guys doing tonight? Hey, you have to be one of the all-time winningest, huh? I don't even know how they count that, but I don't know. I, I mean, I, I well, you know, I just happen to be the guy that uh, stood back there and tied the shoes for an amazing rider. Yeah. Um, make sure shoes didn't fall off. But, you know, I, I don't know. You got, you, know, you look at guys like Keith McCarty and and Dave Arnold and, you know, Felt and all those guys that, you know, that I – you know, looked up to and tried to learn a little bit from. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There's some. There's been some. There's been some, some great guys that have come through that um, I think have made a difference in some young young adult lives and uh, definitely made an impact on the uh, on the industry. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. You're probably right. Um, those guys definitely. Um, again, uh, me being a former mechanic, I did it for 11 years, and uh, those guys back then were pretty gnarly in the 70s and early 80s and working with the work stuff. And, and also, too, like McCarty told me stories of welding frames between motos, things like that. So, <laughs> I mean, you got, they got their bike in a bag. I mean, their right. the frame mounts and, the, you know, the uh, mount for the pipe mount. It was in a was in a bag, and they had to fab it up and weld it up. I mean, they were they were, they were artists and fabricators. They You know, they had to be back in yeah. those days. There, there wasn't a lot to... Uh, you know, we didn't have this amazing machine shop at American Honda to go into and have six guys in there, you know, cranking stuff out for you. So yep. it was a uh, different, different animal. But, I mean, it's different today than it was when I was on the road. Yeah, yeah, true that, right? Um, hey, so what are, what is Skip Morfolk doing these days? Uh, update us all on what, what's happening in your life. Um, just uh, working with uh, Alias MX, mm-hmm. trying, to make, uh, trying to make some cool product that uh, the guys can uh, be protected in and feel good about going around the racetrack in. And uh, what's your role there? What are you sort of responsible for? 
Well, we're, we're a tight-knit group there. We, uh, we all wear multiple hats. Um, uh, I think my primary function is make sure that the, you know, take a piece of paper and turn it into something you can, mm-hmm. you know, guys can grow on and go race in and make sure it works right. Um, and a lot of operational stuff, you know, working the systems and, yep. you know, making sure FedEx is working with our operating system and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So a lot of operational stuff and, uh, and, and doing some development, product development work. And, uh, hey, you won a championship in, the, I think, the gear line's uh, first year. First or second year yeah. of... Uh, well, you first, won- yeah, we, 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 won a, we were very fortunate to, uh, to win, win, a, win a championship before we sold the first piece of product. So, I know, huh? That was, <laughs> that was uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. Pretty cool time. Hey, and you picked up a new rider, Kevin Windham, out in opening ceremonies, transferring in his alias gear. That worked out well. That's uh, that's a nice thing. You know, we've got a very very good relationship with the race team, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully we can uh, hopefully we make those guys proud and and uh, make uh, make everybody happy and look good. Yeah, the the gear industry is definitely uh, a fierce one these days, and uh, it's uh, you know the, there's the giants in it, and, and then there's guys like you trying to strive for it. But in a way, Alias has a leg up with the with the relationship with Geico. And immediately having you know some of the best riders in the world wearing it and the stuff. I mean, of course, it looks good too. But man, uh, good for good job on you guys on uh, you know integrating it all with the Geico guys. That that's a that's a hell of a marketing step up. No, it definitely um, it, it, it's definitely a nice thing to have. Absolutely, we're we're uh, we're honored to be a part of that race team. Mm-hmm. Do you uh, do you go to many races? Um, I, I I gotta admit, I'm. Uh, I'm liking the live coverage. <laughs> I, I got to admit, I am. Uh, I'm really liking the live coverage. Uh, yep. It's uh, been busy. I've got. Um, seems like my weekends now are at baseball games or water polo games. So, right. Um, got one that's getting. Got my oldest son's graduating this year, and I've got my youngest going to be a freshman at the end of this year. So, yep. that's. Uh, I spend most of my time at a swimming pool or a baseball field now. It seems like. <laughs> Yeah, really, right? But I mean, you're still watching them. You're still up on them and all that. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, like I said, we've been we have uh, just a core group of guys that um, you know that, that I've met through you know the community I live in. They some of them run motos, some of them ride, um, and uh, we get together every Saturday night and watch Supercross. Oh, that's cool. Um, and what about wrenching on bikes? When's the last time, Skip, that you changed an air filter? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, I, uh, my buddy's a desert rider, and he goes, "Hey, I want to. I, I, I wanted you to help me just uh, redo my bike uh-huh. about a year ago. Okay. That was probably the last time I, I got my hands dirty working on a motorcycle like that." Yeah, yeah. You're like, "Oh man, these four strokes." <laughs> no, it was a two stroke. I, oh. I was good to go. It was a two right. stroke. Yeah, I was yeah. all happy. <laughs> yeah, really, huh? Um, and and of course, MC Jeremy McGrath, your longtime guy, uh, in the booth. So that's cool. He did a good job, and. Uh, Man, MC, uh, like, what more can you say about the guy? He's just uh, just one of the greatest on him, and maybe he's perhaps greater off the track than he is on it. He's just such a good guy. He, you know, he's, um, yeah, what else can you say? I was, uh, you know, I was very fortunate. Um, at the time, we happened to meet at the right place at the right time, um, and uh, we just clicked. Um, yeah. And he has, uh, he is, he's done so much. For our sport, um, mm-hmm. and uh, he is—he's a consummate professional. Um, he just does a great job at whatever he does. You know, he's just—he's just a great guy, gifted athlete. Um, 
and mentally strong. He's just so mentally strong. He puts his mind to something, and mm-hmm. he makes it happen. Um, let's let's get in the time machine and go back, Skip. Uh, I'm born and raised in Maryland. Is that do I have that right? Yeah, born and raised in Maryland. I had uh, I had an opportunity to. Uh, I don't want to say I ever bumped bars with Davey racing on mini bikes, but um, he was always he was always a little bit older, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit older than me, and uh, she was always always a class ahead of me. But um, now we grew, grew up racing in the Mid Atlantic. Um, uh, gosh, I think uh, I think I actually rode a motorcycle before I learned how to pedal bicycle without training wheel. Oh, really? Um, oh, so yeah. Couldn't go to my and my, my dad was like, "Don't go racing unless you're you're fine." Because I'm not taking a bicycle with training wheel to the racetrack. <laughs> so I had to I had to learn how to ride my bicycle before I could go to the racetrack. You yeah. um, and just uh, just went racing and absolutely just fell in love with it. Um, yeah, yeah, right away. Like like most of us, right? Uh, your brother, your brother Sean, older or younger? Uh, younger and much uglier, and probably a little little heavier than me. <laughs> nice, spoken like a good spoken like a good brother. Um, so, how did you start getting into wrenching, and, and you know, obviously getting out of the riding a little bit, and, and get into wrenching, and, and then of course, how did you get out to California? Well, if we if we go all the way back, um, you know, my dad raced boats back in the sixties, okay. and. Uh, and we lived, grew up on a dairy and tobacco farm, so we had plenty of places to ride. I think one of the first bikes that I remember riding was the old Rickman. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so we decided we started racing. He goes, you know, you kind of wanted to open up a motorcycle dealership. They had a boat dealership, and he said, I want to open up a motorcycle dealership. So I think it was like 1976 or 1977, he went after the Cal- got a Kawasaki franchise, and at that point, they really didn't have a competitive mm-hmm. MX line. Yeah. Um, but by the time the first year the dealership opened up, they, you know, the KX line, as we now know it, um, came to fruition and, and down the pipe. And, and so we were at the races every weekend, you know, and so the shop was at the races every weekend and got to meet some really cool people. And it, um, I, I don't know, I think I knew at a young age that I, I, I was, I liked working on them. I liked taking my bike apart mm-hmm. and I could put it back together. Like that helped a ton there. And just try messing with it to make it work better, make it go faster. It's just doing all those things. Um, and uh, Rusty Reynolds was a uh, big team green rider back on the East Coast. This was going to be, I think we're at like 1982 now. Yeah. Um, and uh, his, got to meet his dad and, and uh, met them. And he goes, hey, do you want to go on to do the Nationals? That was Paca and, and Loretta's at that time were just starting up and Kind of went on the road with him to help his dad just kind of prep his bikes, clean them, you know, wash filters and that kind of stuff. And just absolutely loved it. You know, was rebuilding suspension and modifying two strokes and mm-hmm. doing all that at home on the side. And um, I just remember wanting to be a team green guy. You know, I, yeah. I remember writing a senior English paper about, you know, what do you plan your life out? What do you want to write about? You know, and I, yeah. I want to be a team green technician. I wanted to own a home when I was 25, and I think I wanted to be married and kids before I was 30. Oh, yeah, I remember writing that down. Um, and, uh, you know, here we are. That's that's funny, because so, Team Green, what year are we talking here? Like, mid-80s? Well, I graduated in 1985. Um, yeah. I went to, uh, I, I wanted to go to the Naval Academy and be a uh, uh, Marine pilot land on aircraft carriers. Oh, sweet. So I applied, applied to the Naval Academy. Uh-huh. Um, and was accepted to the Air Force Academy. So 
So I had to, I had my meeting with the Lieutenant Colonel of the Air Force and uh, got the letter in the mail. I want to say it was like on a Monday or something. It came in the mail, um, and I had two weeks to make a decision, you know, commit to the Air Force Academy. Uh-huh. And uh, Mark Johnson from Team Green called on a Wednesday, and I was on a plane Saturday to Irvine, California. Oh, wow. So this is the, uh, uh, what could have been, huh? What, what path your life could have ch- taken? Quite possibly, but um, yeah, I mean, I was just very fortunate. The team green guy on the East Coast at that time was Jeff Chambers, yep. and uh, you know, worked met him and, and done some things with him, and he definitely was able to uh, you know open a open a door in a conversation and mm-hmm. got the phone call from Mark Johnson and said, "See you later, Mom. I'm gone." Wow, uh, it's funny because you know, Team Green started what eighty one or eighty or something like that, but. But you already, like, it was already such a great program that you're like, I want to be on it. I, I, I want to be Team Green Kid, you know? So. No, I, and, it, and for me, it wasn't about the racing part. I just remember going to, you know, back then it, it was kind of before before Loretta's when they used to have separate amateur and um, amateur nationals and the youth nationals. And um, you'd go to some of those bigger events, and the Team Green guys were there taking care of everybody's bikes if they needed help. And I'm mm-hmm. like, Man, those guys are cool. They're helping they help me out. You know, I had a problem. They helped me out. I go, I'd like to do that. That'd be pretty cool. Hmm. Here we are. Yeah. So we had uh, so that's how the door opened to Kawasaki. Um, was out there for a couple years at Kawasaki. I worked in the land office for a while, and then let's say it was like April of '89. I moved out to the Irvine office, and moved to California full time. So you were doing the um, Team Green thing uh, and going to all the races and doing all that, but more more on the East Coast to start. Well, yeah, I was, yeah. you know, I was on the you know, on the East Coast, and you know, had a, just a wonderful opportunity to meet so many people and and do so many different things. Uh, you know, Team Green would do a lot of prep work because that's when they would bring all the prototype bikes uh-huh. into all the races and do all that type of stuff. And you know, had you know, building bikes with you know for Emig and Ricky, and Ricky was well, I think the first time I met Ricky was seven, six or seven, something like that. You know, a little kid in Ponca City, and yep. Pinning it on a sixty, and it makes you look, you know. Yeah. And he's pinning it still. Um, I just had an absolutely wonderful time meeting some really great people. You know how great the families are in motocross. They're just it's wonderful. Amateur racing in motocross is just wonderful. Yeah, and it, uh, it really is. Yeah. Yeah, and and I when I came to I think the first I moved I came to California the weekend of um, World Mini Grand Prix in Vegas, mm-hmm. and they had just hired. Uh, Jeremy at that point, you know, my only, my only recognition of Jeremy was, you know, at Loretta's, you pick guys that, you know, with your buddies at the race, you go, okay, who's going to win this? And, right. you know, Jeremy, I race a C-class, and they go, oh, from California, so the first, first thing was, oh, he's probably a sandbag in that one. Yeah, well, yeah. Him and, <laughs> you know, that's, that was our East Coast mentality. Um, but, uh, no, I just then, uh, so they had just hired Jeremy. In April, mm-hmm. and I came to the West Coast on April, and they, you know, everybody was like, "Hey, it's pretty big a race." You know, the local guys out here they don't know you, so yep. we just hired this guy over here. Why don't you go over and introduce yourself and, and help them out? They've got brand new motorcycles mm-hmm. that you know, give them the ins and outs and help them out. And um, that's how we. Uh, that's how I met the McGrath family. And uh, kind of funny. I remember I'm, I'm underneath the tent, mm-hmm. and Jack over. Jack comes over and knocks. That's another shoulder goes, hey, man, I just uh, just changed the front tire. Um, I want to make sure I don't screw up what I need to, you know, just what I need to look at. And, and back then, they had, that's when it was a two-part axle 
had the little clamps yeah, on the front. The on the disc side, you always had to loosen the disc side up to to resetter the, uh, the the caliper. Right, right. And, and it was easy to leave them loose. So I said, hey, just make sure you don't leave those loose. Double check them. Yep. So, you know, if Jack comes back and he, he passes my shoulder and goes, how'd you know I left those loose? <laughs> and I go, I couldn't. It's just an easy thing to do. Yeah. And we, that's how, and we just happened to hit it off. Um, and, um, oh, that's, that's interesting. I was going to ask you, did you know Jeremy McGrath on Team Green? And yeah, so so before he won any, uh, I think he was fourth or something in 1989. Or, no, he was on a Honda in 89. Maybe he was uh, 1990 or something. But So before he had really won any races, you had already established a relationship with the family and with Jeremy and all of that. No, yeah, it was funny. I mean, as, as, <laughs> as ironic as it was, um, when I first moved to California, there was a guy named Jeff King, and they had just hired him. He was 20, 20 years old, just getting ready to turn 21, and he was the new parts guy. Um, him and I ended up being roommates out there. And uh, we just got to know Jeremy, and, how, you know, Ann and Jack and Tracy and Jeremy are just absolutely wonderful people. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you know, made me, made me feel at home anytime I was with them. Yep. Uh, felt like I had a home with them. Um, and, uh, you know, Jack was, they were going through trying to, trying to establish what they were going to do. And, and they were, you know, having problems with uh, keeping the bikes going, had a lot of maintenance on. I go, hey, just send Jeremy, load him up this truck, send him on up. Yeah. We'll totally go through his bike. He can crash at the house. Bring, totally bring his road bike. I'll send him on a road bike ride with the Shimano guys. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and we'll prep his bike for him. That just happened to be the weekend at Las Vegas. Oh, shit. Okay. Where, yeah. What do you, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, as, as it you know, just just happened to be that. But that that was a that was a team green prep machine, not necessarily mine. We just brought him in, prepped it up, you know, tried to teach him how to do some things, and yep, and uh, put a good bike on him so he could be safe and go have fun. Yeah, did you ever? So you never worked for him in '90 at any races or anything. You had some guy, but you were just team green still, still helping the bikes, helping out, you know, all the racers, I guess, right? Yeah, I mean, for, at that particular time, it was him and Ryan Hughes were the, you know, they were the two Cali guys, yep. amateur Cali guys that were, you know, either one of those guys were probably going to win. Yeah, um, yeah, I guess that's true, right? Either, yeah, good time for Kawasaki. Good time with those, it, it with was. those two. Yeah. It, it, was just a, it was a great time. It was a great time for racing, man. Hey, I just bought a 1990 KX250 that I'm restoring in my garage. Uh, yeah. What do I need to look at, Skip? Nineteen ninety. Um Alright, you gotta make sure you get the right purple in the graphics, I think. I know, right? I know I gotta check you those I know I gotta check those shock towers. I definitely know Absolutely. that. Um Yoko told me that at Cowie. He's like check those yeah. check check those shock towers. Um gotta check the shock towers. So yeah, so again, like you meet this kid, um and he you know, and his dad you help his dad out with a you avoid a potential disaster. And then you prep his happen to prep his bike the week the week before he wins his first race. Um, yeah, it seemed like you were destined to have Jeremy McGrath in your world, Skip. <laughs> yeah, I, and I, I could be more fortunate for that to have happened. Yeah, um, you know, it was just a neat time. He was, you know, he was he was a kid. I, I wasn't much more than a kid. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, and and his mom was without. I don't know how to I don't know how to say this without being uh, without being a mom with without being overbearing or pushy. She she knew how to get the both of us to 
focus on what was important and how to how to live your life and prepare it that way. I mean, she was instrumental in that. Oh, really? Um, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, she was, <laughs> I, you know, they were my second family. I, I <laughs> you know, I, I lived with them for a, a brief period. Well, I should live with them. I mean, I, when I was home, cause we were, we had to drive box vans all over the country. Yeah. Um, you know, I wasn't around much and, and she was like, ah, don't, you know, save your money so you can buy a house. Don't spend it on rent. You're never there. We'll fix you up a little cot in a little room. And for the you know, month and a half you're here out of the year, stay here. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. No, that's so, pretty cool. Uh, right. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. I've, I've been blessed to have some wonderful people in my life. The, um, did they always live in that house in Temecula off the side of the 215? Like, uh, yes. Yes. When, when, I, when I met them, that's yeah. where they were that's at. That's where they were at. Yeah, with the tra- he had a track in the backyard. Yeah. Um, yep. So, okay, so McGrath gets hired by Honda. He thinks it's a Honda ride. He told me this story. Mitch told me this story. He thinks it's a factory Honda ride, but oh no, it's uh, the Pro Circuit Honda team. When do you come into the picture and leave Team Green and go to uh, Pro Circuit? Um, sometime in September of 89. Yeah. Um, we just got back and kind of got done with Loretta's. I think I maybe think that year Loretta's was before Ponca City. Yeah. Uh, so we got back, got everything cleaned up and put away, and I uh, just Jeremy called and said, "Hey, yep. you know, I, what do you what do you think?" And I, I, at that point, I really, I really wanted to go into professional racing. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, and I was really trying to get a, uh, you know, trying to put something together to stay with Kawasaki. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I'd like to think that maybe there was an opportunity to, to do something with Rhino there at uh, Kawasaki, but yep. um, for whatever reason, I, I, I wasn't, just wasn't feeling it, mm-hmm. and out of the blue, you know, Jeremy calls up and says, hey, what do you think about this? Uh, all in. <laughs> did you, are, you know, all in, let's go. So did you, think, say, yeah. did you think it was a factory haunted deal at first? Um, actually, when... When I signed the contract, uh, the first the first contract or letter that I signed was with American Honda. Okay, all right. So then, at some point, Mitch comes in and they farm it out to him, right? And and I, you know, obviously all that had been in the works. Yeah. You know, that's when I first this was my first experience with the, with a contract like that. And <laughs> you know, in the fine print, it said that you know that they had the ability to 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 contract out the services. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. then, and as it turned out, it went to Mitch. Were you dis- and, were you disappointed a little bit? Like looking back on it, were you? I know I know MC was a little bit, but and his his dad I guess was like saying what the hell and all that. But what about yourself? Well, I mean, there was you know he was he was he was starting up something new. There really yep. you know there really wasn't anything. Now you know hindsight, I don't know why I would ever second guess Mitch Payton not being successful. What he puts his mind to? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, you know, you know, all of a sudden at, at the time, you know, American Honda, I mean, you're all full. Right. I mean, they were, that was it. it, right. it that was the pinnacle yeah, at yeah. that particular time. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, I want to say it was, um, it was, uh, a, a bit, I don't want to say hesitant, but you were definitely going, oh man, you know, took the edge off of it a little bit, but immediately, mm-hmm. um, that, that all didn't matter anymore. And I mean, when I say immediately, I mean in a matter of probably the first time we got together, sat down and talked and yeah. laid the plan out and, and started working and, you know, immediately, 
you throw the bike and you start working on that motorcycle and realize what you had underneath of it, how cool it was going to be, and that that pretty much went away within a month. Did you? It, it was irrelevant. Did you had known had you known Mitch at all, or was it literally just uh, first time you met him was when you went to go work for him? No, because I had, we had worked with him quite a bit at Team Green. Okay, um, right. They were, you know, because when I first came out, one of the other things we did was all the desert racing. Okay. Um, my, my roommate, one of my roommates was Leia Rossler. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. so, my gosh, uh, you know. Um, great roommate, by the way, because <laughs> yeah, at that particular time, he was traveling way more than all of us, so yeah. we had we had this house to ourselves for the most part, but... And, and Mitch, Mitch and Bells were were doing quite a bit of the, the uh, quite a bit of all of the motor work and, and uh, suspension work for the Desert program with Kawasaki. So um, we got to know those guys. Um, got to know them quite well. Right, right. Um, now I, was, I didn't start being a mechanic till '96, and I've heard some Mitch Payton stories. Uh, Pingree's told me some stuff, but everyone says he was way gnarlier back in the day. <clears throat> so does that include your day, Skip? As far as work, the hours you put in and the work that you did? For, for me, it wasn't gnarly because I had been around I'd been around racing, and I worked on a farm. Right. right. Um, so, you know, the bottom line was is you had a job to do, and, and you know, Mark Johnson from day one said this. He goes, look, your job is to have the best parking spot at the event and make sure everybody on the count clock is happy and taken care of. Yep. You can show up at 10 o'clock and leave at 2 o'clock and get that done. More power to you. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but no, I mean, it, it, the, the work part wasn't, I, I never thought about it. You know, there was nothing to, mm-hmm. to put in 100 plus hours a week. It just, it didn't matter. It was irrelevant. Because you were, I absolutely loved what I was doing, loved the people I was working with. Um, and that's just, it was just what you did. I mean, yeah. it was just what you did. Right, right. Uh, what a team, too. Uh, Buell. Swink, Lampson, and McGrath the first year, all wearing the same outfits and everything else, which at the time, Skip, was pretty pretty new in our actually, sport. Actually, I think it was Antonez the first year, wasn't it? I think, yeah. I think Lampson came on later, didn't he? No, Antonez, no maybe not. Antonez was second year. Yeah, Lampson was first oh, year. Maybe so. Yeah. Maybe so, yeah. Um, no, it was, it was cool. Yeah. You know, Jeremy, Jeremy and Swink were, you know, Jeremy, Swink, and Rhino, those were the guys that were that were coming out of the amateur ranks. Right. They were going to be great, and, you know, each one of those guys was absolutely amazing. Did you, uh, your bikes were good. I watched an old race from like 91, and Emig is on a factory Yamaha, and Swink, I think it's High Point, Swink is just yarding him out of the turns. Um, and then uh, there was another, there was a Cowie guy, I think maybe it might have been a Voland, and again, the peak Honda just motored him. Did, did you Did you think you had good bikes? Was it that obvious back then too? I, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and then uh, um, you guys won two 125 Supercross titles and yep. one national, one national in that time. Was Jeremy always, was he always kind of early on fighting the outdoors? Uh, could you, like, what was his, why was he so good at Supercross and not so good at outdoors early on? Well, I, I think it, it's, I, I look at racing this week, or this way, and mm-hmm. it's, Racing is Mickey Mouse simple. It's the easiest thing in theory to do. You have two sides of the bed you get up on. One side is, I'm just going to get up and ah, do what I need to do. The other side is, I'm going to get up and be the best racer, period. Mm-hmm. Um, the hardest thing for an athlete to do on a day-in and day-out hourly basis is to live your life that way. But it's 
simple. Every decision you make makes you a better racer. Right. Um, and Jeremy loved Supercross. He was good at it. Nationals were gnarly events for him. I mean, it was gnarly. Yeah. The tracks were rough and beat up. Supercross, you know, in, in, a, in a sense, it came somewhat easy for him because he was such a perfectionist and a technician on the track. He was just technically so good on a motorcycle that that, that, that aspect of it came, came easy. Mm-hmm. Nationals, you kind of had to hang it out. Right. And Jeremy's, Jeremy's never been one to, you know, ride past his, his ability on any given day. Yep. He just didn't do that. He was, extre- you know, he was extremely good at, at making his, his edge not a cliff. I mean, it was round. You could <laughs> ride off of it and ride back, and it wasn't an issue for him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but and, and those, those years that he had success, he was focused on wanting to be that guy, and he did it. Yeah. yeah. You know, if, we hadn't had a, if it hadn't been for, I don't know what he saw that time in practice, trying <laughs> to make that jump at, Wash, at uh, Millville, right. he'd, have had a, he'd have had a second title in the 250 class outdoors. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna, definitely. That's one of my questions coming up here. Um, so, uh, did you now be honest, Skip? Like he won a couple of Supercross titles and he was pretty dominant. Did you have any idea what was going to lay ahead, though? Like, did you did you think this kid had the potential to rack up seventy two Supercross wins and seven titles? Um, not at first, no, no, absolutely not. No, I, how could you? I mean. You know, Bale and Stanton and Bradshaw and Tasevich and all those guys. I mean, how? how, how no, you, you couldn't think that. Right, right. Um, five races in? Well, maybe <laughs> halfway through that first season? Absolutely. Right, right. He, he, he grew... He grew so much so quickly that year as a, as a Supercross racer. Uh, I'm, I'm still... To, Today amazed at how he did what he did. It was it was it was an absolutely wonderful time. Uh, so, two years at Pro Circuit, 1993 comes. He gets the call up to the big team. Were you always going with him? Was there no issues, no problems? It was always like, hey, Jeremy and Skip are coming on board. No, I I, I had some very huge concerns in '93 oh, okay. and in '92. Yeah, um, and I think we were very. I was very fortunate that. Cliff White, um, because I uh, was very fortunate because they were going to do they were going to do some stuff back in house again, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Cliff was going to come off the road and, and be that guy that was going to you know take over all the internal and technical side of the, the, the power plant. Okay, um, as you know, yeah, that guy Cliff Cliff is absolutely amazing. Right, I mean. He's, he's, to me, he's always been, you know, he's he's the top echelon for me. Right. He, there was no, there was nobody any better than Cliff White um, in my mind. Yeah, I think, I think, um, I think you're, that's shared by more than a few people, no doubt. You know, and uh, you know, there was there was a there was a definite question that you know, why why would Jeremy why would Jeremy not want to go with that guy? You know, yeah. Um, we we didn't have the at that particular time we didn't have the we had a great relationship, but it. it didn't develop into what we we had um, until a couple years, you know, year year and a half later. Yep. But um, so no, I think I was very fortunate that that Cliff got off the road, which opened up a spot. Um, I'd like to think that I uh, carried myself well enough 
um, as a professional mm-hmm. uh, that I could go in and uh, you know fulfill that 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 job at American Honda. Right, right. It was very intimidating, super intimidating. I mean, sit down and meet with Dave Rowe and Roger DeCosta. Come on, <laughs> really? <laughs> right, right. You're like I'm a kid from Maryland. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. Um, now you working underneath Honda. I mean, the the stories that I've been told between Dan Bentley and Cliff. Bale and Stanton and RJ and, and Lunas and I mean there was some serious feuds going on within the team um, back then. Did you have any idea? And did were you like, oh man, those guys really don't like each other? I don't know if I want to go there. That type of deal. You know that that not to, not that I never wanted to go there or anything, but yeah, it was right. It was very visible. Right, I mean, right, right. there was a there was a couple times where we would share places and stay stay at the same places and. You know, Mitch, Mitch was all about the team effort. Right. It, it is all about the team effort. And at that particular time on the peak days, you know, we were, we were two guys in a box van. Right. Um, two riders out of each box van. So we had no choice but to get along and be a team. Uh-huh. Um, then in 90, then, you know, so we had a little bit of, a, a little bit of, um, we rode one or two 250 races. Yep. And they were helping with some stuff. So I would go and, and park over with those guys just to, you know, hey, I need, if I need any help. Um, I could go and talk to those guys, and, right. and Heben, Heben was the one that would bounce between all the other guys. But you, there'd be four box fans parked on four separate sides of the hotel. Yeah, no, and um, yeah, it was there. You know, the the inner workings of that team was uh, was um, very very dynamic, very intense. Um, you know, every one of those guys in there, yeah, um, wanted to win. Yeah, you got very out. competitive. You got Cliff doing cylinders for JMB and Ron Wood, not, you know, or Cliff, uh, I think it was Ron Wood working for Grodowski, and they wouldn't give him a backup motor. And then you got Lunas and uh, this guy fighting about over suspension. I did, yeah, it's funny. It's funny to hear that about being on a team, right? And, and having that. But that those were the days. So 93 comes around. It's kind of a new bike. It started a new, a new bike in 92. So 93, still a pretty new CR250. MC goes four and five at the first two races. I mean, you're probably happy with that, right? You're probably like thinking that's that's a good start. Happy? <laughs> we were stoked. I mean, how could you not? Right, right. Yeah, how could you not want to come in and jump into that class and do that? You know, we had racing in Europe and even Japan was really big in the off season, so yeah. we had we had an opportunity to ride that motorcycle in some racing events mm-hmm. um, and in some bigger stadiums. Um, the one stadium we rode in the in the outdoor stadium, the soccer stadium in Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, we rode the big stadium in Japan. Uh, you know, Bale with a lot of those good guys were there, so we had an opportunity to race them. So, fortunate for us on the on the mental side of it, when we went to Anaheim, it wasn't all new. Right, right. You know, we had, and I think that's the one thing that some of these that that's probably maybe not around today like it used to be. Um, so we had that. You know, we've. We knew those guys. We lined up beside them. I say we. Jerry lined up beside them. Um, it was, so we weren't going in there, you know, the complete guys that didn't know anybody. Right, right. Uh, or the rookies or any of that stuff. So we, we had that little bit of a comfort edge. And to come out there and do what he did was, yeah, we were stoked. How could you not be? Was he, uh, refresh my memory, how was he in the off season? Was he winning? Was he, was he running with those guys? We, yeah, absolutely. We had a great, uh, the Paris was, Paris was the time, I think, when we realized that we could have a good season. A good season meaning we could be top five. Right, right. Um, yeah. So, Stanton was defending champion. 
Um, so, you know, you got the number one guy. That's that's the guy. And so that's kind of the benchmark. And, of course, Bradshaw and uh, Bale had left, but Kudowski and LaRocco and those guys. Um, what about the bike? How, how, uh, how was he with testing and, 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 and uh, modifying the bike? Uh, um, how was all that? Did it, uh, was it a pretty smooth process? Did, did they say, hey, kid, here's what Stanton likes? Or was there, was there a lot of testing going on? Um, well, we, Mitch tested a tremendous amount. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we learned how to be, Mitch definitely taught me how to be a great testing right. guy. Right. Um, and from early on, you know, Mitch was able to give the guys what he wanted from a performance standpoint, but also keep what the rider wanted and work together to create this masterpiece. Um, and at Honda, it was just, it was even more of that because there was, there was so many, uh, you had resources from the U.S. side and you had resources in Japan. Mm-hmm. And they would work in conjunction and, and separately and, you know, it, like walking in the shopping cart, you know, going down and grabbing bread. Mm-hmm. So, gonna go grab the bread. Well, there's 97 different types of bread. Right, right. We, right. Had, we had options like that. Right. Um, but from day one, it was, let's get a motorcycle, let's get a baseline setting, get used to your motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Then, if you come back and say, hey, I need to improve on this, mm-hmm. we would then go and try to improve on that. Um, and everybody, everybody's trying to make it better. And at the end of the day, you'd go, okay, let's go. Did it, is it better? I think it's better. Let's go do starts. Right. And we had, we had timing set up to where we knew exactly where we were at on the starts. And you come back and say, you know, it's not as good on the start. I don't want to race it. Right. Okay. Not a problem. Right. Right. And we, we and that's how that's how he approached the race. That's how we approached the race. And I think both of us worked very hard at that. Um, you know, we spent when I first met Jeremy, we spent weeks and weeks and weeks doing starts. And oh, we spent really, weeks huh? and weeks yeah. and weeks doing jetting because when you go racing, you know, back then it was okay. A bike could be could be running flat on top for two reasons. Um, but it feels different to the rider as you get to that point. Mm-hmm. So we would go out and make the bike run one way, make the bike do another way, because if Jeremy came in and said, hey, this is what my bike's doing, I needed to, know, I needed to have him tell me what it was doing so I knew to choose A or B. Right. And we had to work on that relationship. And, and that's, that's when we really hit it off, because he would come in and he could say, you know, he could say something, and I knew exactly what he was talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's that was all through testing because you know you have you don't have a lot of downtime. Mm-hmm. If you have a problem, you need to be able to fix it. Yeah, and and also too, these are the days of box fans where uh, he and he's maybe staying back with you during the week. You guys are really hanging out. You're he's riding the race bike. You're rebuilding the race bike. You have to be a self motivated problem solver, right? While you're while you're stuck in the middle of Indiana somewhere, you got a box fan to maintain. These were different times for mechanics. Com- completely, I think, you know. The only thing that we loaded up and shipped back and forth were our suspension pieces. Yep. Just we didn't, you know, we just didn't. It, that was the only thing we did. Everything else was our responsibility. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so round three, Anaheim, he passes Jeff Stanton. Um, goes on to win. It's, it's actually sort of symbolic the way he won that race, coming from 
a little bit, you know, coming from fourth or whatever, passing the big dogs, passing Stanton, his hometown race. He wins the main event. What was that night like? It was like you could imagine. Any, it, it can imagine. I mean, you're, you're, you were, I was a part of winning the pinnacle event, mm-hmm. you know, of, of, of what you do. I think, you know, at that particular time, it'd be, you know, it, it was, it was it. I mean, it was Anaheim. Yeah. You know, and uh, and it, it was the big boys. It was the big class. I mean, it, 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 you were at the pinnacle of the sport on a global level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been very fortunate to, to, to live there for a few years with Jeremy. Um, and it's 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 like you could ever imagine. I mean, mm-hmm. if you if you play if you play football at high school and you were part of a championship high school team, it's just like that. Right. right. If you know for what what. The Seahawks and and uh, and Denver did last weekend as a team. It's just like that for us. I right, mean, it's, right. it doesn't get it's it's the top. It's the pinnacle. He uh, you have to take the top. He wins the next four in a row, and all of a sudden you're the points leader, and you're like, "Holy shit, we can win this, MC. We can win the title, right?" It's like got to be pretty amazing, ride. Yeah, you know, we were. I think <laughs> we were kids. Thank God we were kids. We didn't. <laughs> We couldn't really fully understand what was taking place, <laughs> what could happen, and what was going to happen. Because, right. you know, we probably both were, you know, as it turned out, first enough, we were maybe mature enough to uh, get it, but and I, I think we were just, it was just happening, man. We were just living life. It's, right. It was just, it just happened. <laughs> How you know, Go ahead. And for, for me, I, I wasn't, I don't recall being nervous, concerned, worried, or any of that. We were just going racing motorcycles every weekend, kicking everybody's butt, and having a great time. Yeah. And, uh, and so when did you start, like, you know, what, obviously me seeing MC all these years, we have the guys scrubbing now. MC was sort of pre-jumping, and it was a BMX background trick. You could see him in the air. Next to guys, he'd be two or three feet lower. He'd get to the ground faster. That was a and starts very good at starts. Those are two things when I think of when I when I think of why was MC successful. What did you think when you started seeing him do that on jumps? Were you were you able to pick it out early and be like, there it is, whatever he's doing, like like a Bubba scrub, like there it is. That's that's the technique. Well, I can answer that. I think somewhat relatively easy. Let's go back to. To uh, April of 1989, when I first saw Jeremy ride a motorcycle around the track, and and I, you know, they came. We were talking with Anna, Jack, and Jeremy. It's like, hey, well, you know, what do you think? What do you think? I go, you need to quit moving around on your motorcycle so much because <laughs> he would he was riding it like uh, you'd ride a bicycle. Right, right. You know, if you watch a guy ride a bicycle, he's manually making that motorcycle do what he needs it to do right. because he doesn't have a motor and 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 force. He can't generate any extra force. You know, at the blip of the throttle to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, but boy, when he figured it out, boy, did he change the how you ride a motorcycle? He did. He really did. You know, and and J and B, J and B had a had a had an influence there. You know, we would the, the test track was in Simi Valley, right. which was a hundred and twenty-two miles from where we lived. <laughs> right, right. So when we would go up there to test, we and ride, we'd go up there and stay. Yeah. Um, and those guys would just go play riding together. And 
you know, one guy would, and, and everybody else would leave, and it'd just be us out there, and, mm-hmm. you know, Jeremy goes, I, I got to figure out how to do this, like, JMB needs to do it, JMB would, and Jeremy go try it, JMB come back over and go, man, I hope he doesn't do that, because I don't want to have to do that, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. and that, they would just go play like that, so, Jeremy, Jeremy, Jeremy didn't, he was so good at watching something, and then going, okay, I can go execute that, right. and then figure out how to take it to the next level. I mean, he was absolutely amazing at that, and he changed the way you race. I think after after that first season, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really got to think that he didn't he didn't ride more than five or six laps at any Supercross. That was our whole thing: whole shot, yeah. sprint, get a ten second lead, and just hide and watch. Yeah, and. And that's that's how it went for the next three years. Oh yeah, that was that that one. Even on Yamaha, you know, repeat, uh, put in some ten hard laps and destroy them all, and then just you know cruise around, do do some knack knacks. <laughs> um, well, you know, when everybody's trying to feel it out and figure it out, he's gone. Right, right. Um, uh, at this point, I gotta uh, gotta remind everybody: btorsports dot com. Uh, check them out. Number one source for anything you need for your bike or body. Use the code PulpMX to save yourself some money. And, uh, of course, Fox Racing, uh, the global innovation leader for motocross racewear. Fox, sponsor of Dungey, Roxon, Chad Reed, and many more. Thanks to those guys for uh, sponsoring this podcast. And also, uh, pay attention to this Racetech commercial coming up because uh, you can save yourself some money using the code PulpMX at Racetech. BTOsports.com, RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Hey, I want to talk about privateers and what they choose for suspension. Yeah, that's right. Some of the top privateers, most of the top privateers out there, choose Racetech. Long been supporting the world's fastest privateer since 1984. Michael Lee, Vince Freeze, Chris Blows, Cody Gilmore, and many other guys uh, choose uh, Racetech suspension. And they've been around a long time. And their their work stands for itself. Don't forget, people, at least uh, change your oil in your new bike. Use Racetech to do it. Some of that stock oil isn't that good. Uh, Racetech's the world's largest aftermarket motorcycle suspension modification company. 30 years they've been supplying racers, riders, and tuners with the industry's best suspension products. Paul Thie, the owner of Racetech, one of the smartest guys out there, and uh, the creators of the do-it-yourself gold valve kit. It's a revalve in a box. Racetech.com for a full listing of suspension parts, tools, and information. Racetech. Go there. Make your bike handle better. Do it. Racetech.com. Thanks for listening. All right, back with Skip Norfolk. Um, God, Skip, it's 44 minutes, and I haven't even got to half my questions. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so we talked about Honda and the competitive nature, and Dan Bentley is still a friend of mine to this day. still see him around. How's that internal Honda thing going as MC is padding his points lead? Well, I mean, we were the we were the low man on the total pole. Yeah, you know, I, I remember going into that place the first time and going, "Oh man, look at these cool titanium bolts!" And these guys are opening up these brand new bolts. And JC Waterhouse, who was a parts guy, goes, "I go, hey, I'd like to get some my parts and start building my bike." He goes, "Over there on the shelf, huh? all the takeoff stuff." Really? Huh? <laughs> wow! Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Here, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so we. Um, you know, it, he, we, we were, we were the low man on the total pole, and we knew that. Yep. Um, but um, you know, that's not where Jeremy wanted to be, and yep. uh, 
we uh, he worked his butt off and was and uh, got back up on top on the totem pole. And it, it was good. Yeah, you know, and, and again, I was I was young. I was so focused on just just going and taking care of Jeremy and the bikes and doing all that. You know mm-hmm. that. And Cliff Cliff had gotten off the road. The dynamic was. You know, the di- di- dynamic was changing. Yeah. I'd like to think that Jeremy and I helped change that, but there was a lot of other influence. I mean, we had, we had Pete Steinbrecher was in there working. You had Ron Heben, right. two of the funniest and greatest guys in the world. So, you know, I think, yeah. I think the, dynamic, the dynamics really changed because when we transitioned in, there was a lot of, there was a, there was a change. Yeah. New there group. was a lot of, lot, of, lot of personnel changed. Um, and I, I think those dynamics changed as well. And I'd like to think it was a, uh, for me, it was a great place to be. I'd like to think that everybody else there was having a, having a good time, whether your guy won or not, you know. It was, it was a fun place to be. Uh, your motors, how, I mean, Cliff was doing the motors. Was there a lot of, I mean, those motors were fantastic. They had uh, 90, early 90s CR motors were, 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 couldn't be beat. And uh, was Cliff using a lot of Bell's own and all that, or were they pretty stock that Cliff would touch up? Like, how radically different? Was your bike? Um, it was light. Yeah, very light. Yeah. Um, and 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 it was it was it was we had great parts and Cliff, you know, Cliff was really focusing on the one twenty five stuff and and so we ride when we rode the outdoor stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. his stuff was they were immaculate. There wasn't a burr, sharp edge yeah. on any piece. I mean, he massaged and. Uh, every every part of those motors, um, and uh, you know it was, it was up to us to, to you know to, to make sure we kept them going. Uh, yeah. He was brilliant, um, and, and he, it, you know that and that, he really it, it really got gnarly after we got off one twenty five. We're strictly on two fifties when that that one twenty five Lammy had. I yeah. still think to this day it's the fastest one twenty five I've ever ever been around. Uh, and hey, talk about a, a blessed year. Ninety three, MC wins the first national on a one twenty five. You, you're like, we're gonna double class it. We're gonna win everything. <laughs> now I don't think that one. That, that one twenty five class was tough. Yeah, yeah. He was oh, still boy, he, was that class tough. He was still learning. So hey, so you win the title. Ninety three, ninety four, ninety five, ninety six, Supercross titles. At ninety six, you lose only one race. Um, Urban legend and, and MCs kind of talked about it here and there. Was it the exact same bike as a '93? What was different? What was different from what now? What was it's different? Like, let me make sure you got the question right. Yeah, what was different on your bike from '93 to '96? Like, there was always the the urban myth that MC used the same frame and and everything. But what was different? I '90 '94 was a '90. 94 was a was a a transition year. I mean, the bike was new, uh-huh. so there was a lot of things that we were we were learning and, and working on new. And and again, we had, I mean, between Dave Arnold and Cliff and and our and the engineers in Japan, mm-hmm. you know, we were we we were able to, to to mix and match whatever we needed to to get the guys comfortable on their bike. Yeah, um, and you know, and and they weren't. They weren't radically different, you right, know, because right. it was still it was still a steel tube bike. Um, you know, swing arms would change from year to year and different things like that. And and you know, we were we were we had we had the resources to 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 make a motorcycle custom for each guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I want to say that 
at that particular time, there was, I, I would say each guy's bike were, were pretty different compared to, if you look at all the bikes from the team, I mean, they were yeah. all pretty different. But MC didn't, didn't use the same frame every year from the same model year? Like he, no, not not consistently. No, okay, we went we right. bounced back and forth all over the place. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so he's he's getting beat in outdoors, and finally, you know, he gets closer and closer. Two fifty outdoors, ninety five. He, he you know he has Gary Semex helping him train a little bit, and then in ninety five he just goes, okay, I'm tired of not of being called Supercross only, and he pretty much works him in the nationals that summer. That had to have been pretty satisfying uh, to win that ninety five title. It, it was, you know, because I, I, I was a, you know, I, I was a, we didn't have Supercross back east, you know. Yeah. I think we had one time it came to, I, I wasn't big on, <laughs> I wasn't big on double jumps, forget the triples, right? <laughs> right. Um, but, um, no, you know, it was just, it was back in the time where if, if, if you wanted to stand up and be able to say internally, I'm the best, you had to win a national title. Right. And Jeremy wanted to be the best. I mean, nickname was Showtime. He he wanted to he wanted to win and he wanted to put on a show for the crowd. And what better way to do that than to win? And um he just I I he just woke up and said, Okay, we're gonna do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you and not 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 that it was that simple or easy, but yeah. that's how manly strong that guy was. Okay, this is what I'm gonna do. Mm-hmm. And he's gonna do it. Yeah, and he killed him. Um it wasn't even close really from one my memory, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and again, um, for you, that, that had been pretty satisfying. I mean, holding a bike together for a Supercross is one thing, but w- wrenching a guy to a national title, that's another. And, uh, you know, basically trying to keep the thing together through 24 motos, pretty pretty tough deal. Um, so what do you want to talk about, the, st- the Supercross streak ending or the uh, Millville 96 double that he never should have tried? <laughs> well, well, you, you know... That was probably, you know, I, I told you earlier, yeah. we talked earlier about that first year where it just happened. Yeah. Well, <laughs> 96, wow, that was an intense, I probably learned the most about myself that year. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. I turned into a person that I didn't like. I was, oh, really? you know, yeah. I was, I was an ass, if I can say that. <laughs> Hopefully you don't have to edit that yeah, out. Yeah, no, you can um, say it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it just, it was... You know, I wasn't going to be the guy that let him down. And, you know, we were, we had Supercross and Nationals mixed in at the beginning of the season together. Right. Um, you know, we had, I think at that time we had won, we had 17 races in the first 19 weeks of the year. Mm-hmm. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think he'd won everything up to that. Mm-hmm. Moto by moto, and then Supercross yeah. victories, and yep. and um, it was stressful because at that point, you know, it was unfathomable that you would win every Supercross. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, but it was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, my my biggest job I felt was to shelter him from the media. Um, and the people and the team and everything around it was to just try to create an environment where he could focus. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was difficult because, you know, Jeremy felt that part of what he did was communicating to the, to the media, to the fans, and to the public. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he felt that was just as a, you know that was just as much of what he did as he did going around the track. Um, and boy, did it come to a head at, at St. Louis. Um, you know, and it was it was tough. And and Emick, <laughs> what a brilliant racer he is. Yeah. Um, you know, and at that particular time, those two were. I mean, no disrespect to anybody. Yeah. They were just better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you race, you race seventeen seventeen races, and you know, you're in the Supercross. Okay, we're making three points a weekend. He finished second, I think, just yeah. about every race. Right, right. Um, so you didn't have that luxury of a points lead where you could relax, and then all of a sudden you put on, you know, hey, you can win them all, and you know, I. I felt like I completely let him down that 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 St. Louis race because you know we were getting pulled and pulled and pulled. Got to do this, got to do that, and you mm-hmm. know they, they he they took him away from his routine that weekend. Oh, really? Huh? Um, yeah. And uh, you know I felt like I let him down a lot that weekend. Um, as far as not sheltering him, not helping him, yeah. You know, and um, bounced back strong in Denver though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, God, you guys must have been just the rock stars pulling in in your box van, Skip, and just fans and media, everybody, huh? It must have just been a such a gnarly time. It was it was tough, you know. And I had, you know, it's a it's a it's a uh, a trait that I have. My wife absolutely hates it. <laughs> I can I can tune things out. I had to. <laughs> right, you know, it was, right. We were in a box van, and there was ten feet, and there was the crowd. Yeah. You know, we couldn't we couldn't go into semi. We didn't have yeah. twenty five feet um, to work with. I mean, it was a it was a pop up and a yeah. and a banner. Yeah. Um, and it was it was difficult. Um, you know, you pitted inside in these supercrosses. Mm-hmm. You know, and those indoor races like St. Louis. I mean, we were pitted inside in in one of the hallways. Yeah. Um, you know, you were you it was you had your a small toolbox, a stand, and a lawn chair, and your bike. Yeah. And that, that's where you were at, so it was, you know, it was hard to get away, and it was hard to, to get, you know, get to, in that routine where you need to be to be able to, you know, he would always go to sleep before the main event. Mm-hmm. That's how he could relax and do it. Didn't get to sleep that night. Didn't get to relax. Didn't get to yeah. shut everything out and focus on it. Right, and, right. Um, and I felt like I let him down that weekend by not being able to do it. Uh, you know, part of me wants to believe it was out of my control. You know, you've got American Honda, you've got... You know, the promoters, you've got TV, you've got everybody wanting to talk mm-hmm. to him, and, and I go, now it's not the time because we have to do it now. You know, because this was a time when they were getting, the sport was getting live feeds, yeah. you know, in and out on, on, on national television, which had never happened before. Yeah. You know, so there was that, that burden. Um, and uh, it was tough. It was, it was a bummer. It was completely a bummer. But, um, you know, as it turned out, he was, uh, I think every, we learned a ton. He learned a bunch about himself and was able to control that moving forward to where that never became an issue again. He learned how to deal with that. It sounds like uh, in, that St. Louis 96 might be one of your biggest regrets, which is another question I have for you. Uh, but I think I know the answer. Just You're just bummed about St. Louis 96. Yeah, you know, from absolutely. Yeah. You know, that was, that was a tough one. There was, uh, you know... You know, we went on and continued to win some races, and yeah. it worked out well. Um, yeah, it's weird. I, I haven't been in your position, but as a fact, former factory mechanic, and and I've I've had 
people standing there watching you. Like, you, you know, you drop a bolt when you're changing a clutch or you, like, you know, you grab the wrong tool. And it, it's, it's weird. It's a weird thing to have people – you think they're watching you. And there maybe some are, some aren't. But it's a weird thing to be in the center of the Coliseum, let's call it, with people everywhere watching you. And that's pressure. And, and you were the biggest mechanic out there uh, because of your rider. And, God, I can't imagine what that must be like. It, it was it was tough, you know, because people would come up in the and talk to you. And if you yeah. were during the week, when you were you know you drive to the event, you'd wash everything, you'd start prepping, and you tear everything apart, clean it, and put it all back together. And we were in box stands, so you had you know we were pretty much open. And people knew where you were staying. They'd show up and talk. And you know, I, my thing was is whatever I was doing at the time, I would put it in my hand, stop what I was doing, and then you'd go back and try to talk to them. Yeah. Um, you know, and go, hey, okay, I got to get back to work and. You know, going back to that trade is you tune them out. And, you know, there were so many people that I, I recognize to this day. Mm-hmm. I know I know them. I know I know where them. I know when I saw them. I know what we were doing. But I can't, I, I, I don't remember the name. Because if I took the time to remember their name and put it into my memory banks, I would potentially forget what I was doing yeah. at the time to put, you know, yeah. where I was working on the bike. And, and there'd be, you know, there was multiple occasions where I'd be in the box van at 3 o'clock in the morning pulling something apart because I'm putting the motorcycle together, you know, in my before I go to sleep or whatever. And, mm-hmm. oh, man, I, I don't remember doing this. But, dang on, I remember having this. Something interrupted me. Wow. And I, I, I'd run back out there and, you know, couldn't take the chance. Were you involved? Uh, I forget who told me this story. I think Dan did. Were you involved in the box van? Somebody left the, the propane open or, and it blew up a box van? That was a that was a that was a gnarly deal. Was yeah. that was that your van or who who was that? No, that, unfortunately, that was Cliff's van. Cliff Cliff's had uh, you know because we all had different we all carried different equipment, some yeah. bigger equipment on the truck, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that was a bad deal. And uh, wow, it uh, what well, we could either either the tank was left on, you know, and I, and I I know I used it. Yeah. Or or we didn't or didn't bleed the lines out. Um, mm-hmm. after, you know, you shut it off and bleed the lines out and you put it, because it was in a cubby hole. Yeah. Um, and as it turned out, there was a, the electric motor of the air compressor sparked and mm-hmm. it blew the back of the box stand up. I mean, that was a, that was a gnarly deal. And yeah. I, you know, again, I, you know, I, I used that equipment yeah. and obviously I didn't, uh, I didn't do something right, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, that was a gnarly deal. I heard, luckily, I heard. Luckily he was, uh, he was okay. Yeah. Everybody was all right. Um, uh, so 96, I, I did one of these with Jeremy and the, the double jump in Millville, which I'm familiar with. I, I, I've been to a ton of nationals there. I raced that track. Uh, I know what he was trying to do. And because he's Jeremy, he was trying to do it. It was an un, unjumpable jump almost. Um, and I don't know if you saw it because mechanics area isn't from there or anything like that. But the biggest regret for him was not so much hurting his ankle or whatever he did in, in that thing. It was pulling off at Washougal that next week. And, I was a mechanic then, and literally MC was 10th or 11th, and, you know, not that great for him, but he, MC, Jeremy said pulling off at Washougal was his, maybe his biggest regret because he threw away the 10 points or whatever it was. Uh, well, you, that, that, that particular weekend, mm-hmm. um, he, he shouldn't feel that way because that was, uh, that was all me. What do you, what, um, really? What do you think? He pulled off the track because um, he went down. He pulled off the track um, in the mechanics area, and I don't know if you've ever 
been around somebody or talked to someone who's had head trauma. Yeah. We, you know, he, you look into his eyes and you look through his eyes. He was not there. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay. So he goes, you know, he, he was, and I don't know if he remembers this or not, but so I hop on the back of his bike and we're going through the pit area. And he goes, I don't know what to do. So I, I drove the bike back to the pit area. Oh, yeah. He never, he, yeah, he, he never he said that. He hit it that hard. And I don't know if he might remember that, but, I mean, that was. Yeah. There was two things that we always talked about, you know. You need, there's no reason to risk, you know, risk your life. Risk not walking again. Risk mm-hmm. whatever could happen bad. Right. Um, just wasn't worth it. You know, there's, you know, we always talked about two things, you know. You pull your goggles off at a mud race, pull in. I'll give you a new pair of goggles. Yep. You know, you, you get a rocker, you lose your eyesight, and there's been some guys that have lost their eyesight. Um, he was a special guy. There's plenty of other races to go. And yeah, is that regretful that you pull off and you potentially give that one away? Yeah. Absolutely. But with that said, we beat Emig the second moto at, at uh, Steel City. We win the title. Yeah, yep. It, yeah. You know? So you can always go back and say one race, one race. You know what? We pick up one more win that season. It was irrelevant. Didn't matter. Mm-hmm. We did the right thing. We did the right thing. Um, and to this day, I still think we did the right thing. He um, he was not fit to ride his motorcycle. Well, interesting. Yeah, I've never heard that before. Yeah, he. Uh, it was weird as a other mechanic to see him ride off the track because he looked okay, you know. And uh, like I said, he told me that it was one of his biggest regrets. But yeah, like I've seen guys that aren't there. You're absolutely right. You know what? You know the guys aren't even there. Nothing's, nothing's working upstairs. So, you know, he, you know, he, he knew I was. He, I mean, he, he knew what was going on. Yeah. Um, but he was not. He was not. He was. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't going to go out there and, and race at a high level. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, it was. Uh, I stand by it. It was the absolute right thing to do. Right, right. Um, Sounds like it. Uh, you know, and if if I had uh, my son's ever in that position, I hope somebody's looking out for him like that. And that's how I looked at it. You know, he was, I, he, I, I felt that he was somewhat my responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, I was there, you know, I, cause I, I've seen bad things happen to guys on motorcycles and, um, you know, I, it wasn't going to be on my watch. Uh, nine, end of 96 comes. If Jeremy's contract talks go okay, I know they hired Shane Drew, who's still there to work for MC, uh, if, if he stayed at Honda, but what made you decide to pack it in? What, uh, Obviously, you've been traveling. You've been driving the country for, you know, six or seven years or ten years or whatever. But uh, were you going to stay if he stayed, or, or were you out? No, no. I actually, I they were still going through their contract negotiations, and and I, I made the decision to to, to not go forward. Okay. Um, at that particular time, for the last three years, I was averaging about two hundred nineteen nights in a hotel room. Mm-hmm. My son was just born. Born. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, one of my, one of my biggest concerns was, you know, I was going to wake up one morning, be 35 years old, and this was all I could do and physically and mentally not be able to do it and go, what am I going to (laughs) do? Right. Um, my son was born, uh, and I had an opportunity, uh, to go to work for a company, um, and, and be at home, Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, raise a family. I'd, I'd seen... I've been around some great people that had gone through some issues, family issues. Yeah, and um, you know, didn't want, didn't want to, didn't want to do that. I, I wanted to, I wanted to, family come first, and and you know, Jeremy 
Jeremy was family. Yeah. Um, without a doubt, the toughest decision I've, I've, I've ever had to make. Um, yeah, I bet. You know, and it was, for me, it was, uh, you know, there was, uh, obviously there were some contract talks going, so the, the future there wasn't, uh, wasn't, wasn't stable, secure, or known. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was a huge time in, in the industry, um, and there was a great opportunity for me to take a different path and to, to learn uh, a, a, a new, you know, take a different career choice. Right. Um, absolutely the hardest, the hardest thing that ever happened. I will never forget the very personal conversation that, that we had in his mom's house, sitting on the couch. Yeah. My wife and Anna, Jack, and Jeremy, and very personal conversation. Um, very difficult thing for me to do. Did you but part- I felt like that's, I felt like if I didn't do it, I would never do it. Right, right. Yeah, it's a grind, man. I don't think people understand, and especially, Skip, I did the box fan thing for, I think, about five years. I did the whole circuit, um, living in a box fan, showering at truck stops and all that kind of stuff. People don't understand it. They see the glory on a Saturday night. They don't see you driving through uh, Omaha at 3 a.m., you know, trying to make your next stop and ordering parts and cleaning the box fan. It's insane back then that all you guys did that for as many years as you did. (laughs) Looking back on it, I I don't know how we did it. Right, right. I tell you, I was very fortunate some bad things didn't happen the way we were driving and and the hours we were keeping. Yeah. Um, Did you have any idea um, that the 97 CR250 was going to suck? No. No. You hadn't ridden it or nothing in Japan or anything? No, no, the, the bike we tested was amazing. Which, which um, yeah, this backs up a, this backs up a story. We've, we've, been, yeah. we've been testing the aluminum chassis in, in Japan in the winter for mm-hmm. a couple years, right. and um, it was good. Mm-hmm. You know, they, and we rode it for the we rode the production bike for the first time in Japan at the end of '95. Mm-hmm. Um, very different motorcycle than what we tested. As we learned, um, you know, when it went into production, some things had to change. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, going from a billet machine piece to a forged or or diecast piece um, had a dramatic effect on how how the chassis performed. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, it was it, uh, it, it was a different motorcycle, um, different feeling. And, and Jeremy was a uh, to this day, I believe he still is. He's a creature of habit, and you know, he he was not one to to he didn't push himself out of his comfort zone. Right. He had a huge comfort zone. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, he 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 was not comfortable when he was not in his comfort zone. Right. right. Um, took a lot to get him out of his comfort zone. Um, but at that point, you know, there was a lot of decisions that went into that he had to deal with to make you know make the choices he made. Mm-hmm. So you went to go work for No Fear. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so '97 comes. Jeremy leaves. Goes to Suzuki. Uh, Wyatt um, Wyatt Seals is his mechanic. Uh, doesn't you know, lots of bike problems. He still misses that, just misses the title, but things are falling apart with him and Wyatt at some point. And you come off the couch, Skip, um, <laughs> like uh, like the you know an old coach getting hired um, for a, to turn around a football team or something. Red Bud, I think it's Red Bud. You showed up. Um, Wyatt was let go. Talk about coming back and and how that went down and and what you think and what you think. And that was um that was a pretty cool time. Yeah. I mean, it was uh. It was very cool. Um, you know, we came pretty dang close to winning that weekend. Oh, yeah, man, it's so close to winning that weekend. Yeah. 
I think he went um, one, one three or three one or something. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So or one three, I think it was. Yeah. Um, and that that was a that was a really cool and neat time, um, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I probably that for me it was a, a wonderful opportunity to learn a tremendous amount from Mr. Roger DeCoster. Yep. Um, absolutely wonderful time. Uh, and it was it was a tough time, you know, for Jeremy. I think they were you know they were going through some changes there. The motorcycle was going through some changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know we, <laughs> we had a great time because we we used that motorcycle. We could go to the national season. That, that motorcycle was good. Roger had a big focus. Japan had some focus going on. I mean, it was it was really cool. And um, I, I learned I learned a tremendous amount mm-hmm. from a technical standpoint. Um, Roger during that. It was absolutely wonderful. And again, it was you know it was a it was a unique time. Him and him or Jeff and it were just you know winning everything out was coming around. Mm-hmm. Sebastian coming around. You know, there's there's some guys starting to come in, but you know, Morocco's still cranking, still riding. So it was it was a neat time. But it was it was a you know it was, a, it was an odd time. It was a great time for me, personally. You know, I, I had uh, I had a lot of fun doing that. Was it only for the half season or whatever? Was it always just going to be that, or you, you weren't coming back full time, right? Or were no, you? Or were no, you? Okay. no, no. And then uh, then he moved on. You know, and then the Chaparral team came to fortune, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know there that was another chapter where he did some amazing things again. So um, yeah, so then it was uh, you came back to uh, try to help him out, and then um, back to No Fear You Go, and at that point. Um, well, what point do you go to Kawasaki? And and you were sort of the uh, crew chief guy, I guess, at some point at Factory Kawasaki. Well, yeah, there there was there was a, there was one little step before Mike okay. did just an, an, an interesting story. You know, yeah. I'm at, I'm at I'm at I'm in No Fear, and um, Henry was riding for No Fear, and when he was going to start McGrath Racing, mm-hmm. and uh, so he gives me a call to say I want to come in and talk about some racing. I this is you know I want to do this. So I thought he was going to come in, and he's going, you know, hey, who should we, you know, I had this, who should, uh, who should I get to, you know, help me work to do the racing thing on the bikes? Yeah. You know, so he's, you know, I had, I, you know, I sat down, I go, first guy, listen, find Steve Butler. You know, that guy's yeah. an absolutely amazing, right. he'll do a fabulous job, and we're going down all that, and Jeremy just sits back and looks at me and goes, yeah, that'd be pretty good, but I was thinking about you. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know this. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And um Okay, let's do it. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, you know, I I'd uh you know, the kids uh you know, they I was uh mm-hmm. it just it seemed right, you know, cuz that was something he wanted to do and he asked me to be a part of it. How could I say no? Right. Right. You know, be like the president's going, "Hey, I want you to come do this for me." What are you going to do? Tell the president no? <laughs> no, he's going to say yes. Right, right. That's that's all I thought. I mean, he asked for my he asked for some help. Yeah, he did not help him. And you know, we had a great relationship with No Fear, and those they were like, "Hey, it's a great deal. Let's go do it. Go oh, do it. Be good for you." I forgot about that. Um, hey, your time at No Fear that must have been pretty cool. I mean, at the time, it's a multi-million dollar company. Stuff's flying off the shelves. Uh, there's NASCAR, there's motocross, there's, uh, I mean, surfing, there's any, no fears into everything. What what kind of stuff did you do there? Well, when I first went there, I was in the sports marketing side. I was the first 
the project I had was, uh, oh, who was the IndyCar driver? Um, from Mexico. Uh, oh, um, Adrian? Adrian? Uh, Adrian? Was a, yeah, Adrian, yeah, Adrian Fernandez. Fernandez, yeah. So the first, one of the first things was, okay, you're going to, you know, meet with these guys. We're going to, we're going to work on some, uh, their, their whole thing in No Fear was creating franchises around the athlete. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, it's like, hey, help him out whatever he needs. So, first thing, he wanted to get some hats made. So, I learned how to make hats. And <laughs> he, wanted to get, he wanted to get some shirts done. So, I learned how the, that process. Um, and we were doing sports marketing stuff. Um, and then one night, you know, they, wanted, they were developing a, a driving shoe. Okay. And uh, so, one night, they're having some problems with it. I have to be working late. And I just said, hey, have you thought about trying this or this or this? Mm-hmm. And they were there with the two guys and doing all this and... The owner just looked at me and said, "Okay, um, you're getting on a plane on Saturday. You're going to go to uh, you're going to go to Taiwan. You're going to fix this problem for us." Oh, jeez! <laughs> All right, let's go. Um, and that's how I got into traveling. You know, doing product development and making products and traveling the world. So you're like that part was uh, that part was pretty fun. No, it was a special time. I mean, what a what a cool place. I mean, you'd have Tony Gwynn and. All the baseball players, and mm-hmm. you know Mike Tyson, and just oh. uh, an amazing, just amazing athletes. That you know, no fear was, no fear meant so much from a mental side of it for an athlete. Um, yeah. It was a great time there, absolute great time. Were the Simo brothers as crazy as I've heard, or are those just stories? Yeah, they're probably most of them are probably true. Okay, all right, yeah, yeah. It sounds like they had a good time with this company they started. Um, I yeah, you know, in, in between those those two and Jeff Sirwall, those guys are brilliant <laughs> businessmen, just brilliant businessmen. Yeah. yeah. Um. So the MC thing, MC comes and you're you know sort of working for him, which I forgot by the way. I need to fire my uh, my note taker, which is be, be me because I forgot about that. But I can totally remember you being there. Um. And then from there, the Cowie job opens up, and uh, you go over there. Yeah, that was a, that was a pretty special time. You know, Mark Johnson had left Kawasaki and. Uh, Went to work for a company called PPI. They were doing all of the uh, off-road truck prep and everything. They were the big guys and on the off-road side. And then they went NASCAR racing. And um, he came back to Kawasaki. That's when uh, like he was coming online with their four-stroke. Oh, yeah. 250 yep. for the first time. And, um, you know, wanted to – that was from – from a race team standpoint, it was going to dramatically change uh-huh. how race teams had to run. Um so I'd, I'd learned some things with operations and, and managing people and doing some different things, and Mark had come back in, and, and him and Bruce met me one day and said, um, hey, this is what we're going to do, you know. I think my title was the uh, technical supervisor. Okay. Um, but what a wonderful opportunity to go back to Kawasaki and, um, you know, yeah. start building a, building a race program. I mean, we put together, a, you know, with a, a wonderful staff there, Absolute wonderful staff was able to put together some programs and you know redo build a new dyno and really start to um, control. You really had to control everything because now all of a sudden you've got you've got forty seven pieces spinning at thirteen thousand RPM. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. you've got to you've got to monitor them. There's there's products and, and parts in there that that held half shelf life and there's right. parts in there that if they achieve a certain RPM, you know they. You, they're going to go. They're going to be damaged. You have to be able to document that, identify it, and, uh, and and take care of it. So it was it was a it was a really cool time to put that program together. 
uh, to be a part of putting that program together. Right, right. You know, and the, and the fact we had this guy named James Stewart. <laughs> yeah, really, right? Although, was that the years that you were sharing with Suzuki? Or was uh, that, what was that again? Was that the years you the were year? sharing the 250 bike with Suzuki? No, no, okay. no. That was that was that was after that. After so that. A couple okay. years okay. after that. Right, right. Yeah. Um, hey, so a few quick questions to round this thing out. Um, the best race you ever saw Jeremy have? I mean, I know there's 800 of them, but um, like 96 Nations, or, or is there so, some race that maybe fell in the first turn, like something that stands out in your mind? So the the, the end of the end of '95 when we went to Paris and rode. Um, and won the race over there okay. with, with with Bale and all those guys. That was that was pretty. That was incredibly cool. Yeah. Um, then there was Pontiac, where, um, gosh, what a night! You know, Rock gets stuck in this thing, and we and next thing you know, we're in the last chance qualifier. Oh, the LCQ, you know, yeah, no, yeah. that's uncharted territory. Right. And then we're way on the outside, and Jeremy rips the start, and. You know, I think, I think Mike, I think it was Mike Craig had the inside and just chopped the throttle just a tad early. If he had, if he had left it on, Jeremy had been left out to drive. But Jeremy <laughs> was going for the corner, yeah. pulled the whole shot and won. I mean, you know, that was that was an incredible race. But the one that sticks out for me the most was San Diego, and it would have had to have been ninety six, mm-hmm. San Diego. We were we were trying to help Jeremy in the hoops. That's when they really started changing the hoops. The, the hoops went from being real big, gnarly technical ones to smaller hoops, kind of what you had today, right. where you where you just you pin them. And um, you know, Jeremy wasn't the tallest rider, uh, and uh, when the seat would when the when the seat would start to touch him, you know, he would he would tend to change his body position in the hoops. And yeah. we were really trying to to get that bike to where you know mechanically we could make it good for him. Mm-hmm. And we tried things in the, we tried things all for two weeks. We tried it in the heat race. We tried it in the semi or in the heat races. We did everything possible to take that win away from Jeremy. And, uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, right before the, after the heat race and uh-huh. struggle, struggle, struggle. And I go, he's goes, I'm not happy. I go, we can go back to old faithful. That's what we called our baseline. We always had that. Yeah. We were committed to trying to make this better. And he's all, Let's go back to Old Faithful. Yeah. And, you know, we did everything in our power to, to knock that weekend away from him. He was mentally not prepared to go out and win, and he just did it. Yeah. That, to me, was a, that to me is probably my favorite, one of my favorite races. And, it's, and probably also, too, because you had a hand in it, because a, a direct change that you two came up with did it. You know, that's cool. That's a cool feeling. So, yeah. it was, uh, no, it, it was, he, he was... He impressed the hell out of me that weekend. Yeah, just one of many times. God, Skip, I, I got one national win to my credit and uh, uh, a summer cross win where, where we beat MC on a Yamaha. I can't yeah. even imagine how cool it must be to have all those wins as a mechanic. That's pretty pretty special. Titles and wins, man. Uh, you got to look back on that and be pretty pretty pumped on your career. No, I, I, you know, I did. I had, uh, again, I was very fortunate in my life to have some incredibly gifted people Surround me, mm-hmm. um, and I'm a firm believer that uh, when great, when you're surrounded by great people, great things are going to happen. And um, you know, whether I did that knowingly or by accident or whatever it may be, it was uh, very fortunate. And by no means, uh, you know, could we could we have achieved anything without all the team members? But 
bottom line was that guy that threw his leg over the motorcycle was a special man. <laughs> yes, yes, he was. Well, hey, Skip Norf- Norfolk, thank you for doing the uh, BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Really appreciate it. Great story, man. Uh, good luck at Alias and everything, and I'm sure we'll see you down the road somewhere. All right, well, I appreciate you having me, and uh, have fun at the races. Thanks, Skip. See ya. Take care. Bye. This has been the BTOsports.com podcast show presented by Fox Racing. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. I was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Sorbet is that he never said sorry. Because Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunis. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. And, and Magoo was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right, and, right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't been there. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Poland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home. And once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take the money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know. And it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse. I mean, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Go circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled pitch and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny Omar. Stuff that you could, you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it. You just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes store to enjoy these and over 500 more great motocross podcasts. The days and the months and the years come.